I would venture to say that nobody even knows that we had a ministry in North Africa because we couldn't tell you we had a ministry in North Africa. There are countries that are predominantly Muslim countries that will not allow missionaries there. If he is caught as a missionary there, he will be arrested and either deported, imprisoned for a long period of time, or could he possibly even be executed. And so because of that, we're not able to really tell you exactly where he's at. But I did want you to know, we wanted to find a way to let you know that, yes, you are providing a ministry in North Africa. And you might say, well, what do bicycles have to do with ministry? Well, if you go walks up to the, to the country's visa agencies, yes, I'd like to come here and tell people about Jesus, they would say, basically, get lost. Uh, however, if he says, you know, I would really love to have a bike, you know, bicycle outfitting you know, company here, and we could you know, do bike tours around town, off into the countryside, by all means, we love to support new businesses and new ideas. And so he comes in and has the opportunity to bring in ministry teams that get on the bicycles and go off and share the gospel, but also has the opportunity to share the gospel with those who come in and rent bikes from him, or he takes on bike tours personally. So it's a very innovative and unique ministry. And so we'll be talking about that and several others uh, this morning. Uh, we have a series just simply called I Love My Church. It's one we've done um, almost every year, not every year, but uh, a lot. And so we've been talking about I Love My Church. Uh, in the course of it, some people say, well, you know, I love my church, but shouldn't we encourage people to say, you'll love my church, and go tell other people about what they love about Essential, and so we kind of focused on that last week, about how we're not trying to be the best church uh, in town, or the best church for people who are looking for a church. Really, we want to become the best church for you to invite a friend to, who probably doesn't go to church, and that some, because of that, there's a few things that we do that are a lot different than what a typical church might do. Uh, so we just simply want to make it the best church. Now, accidentally, and sort of as a byproduct, a lot of things we do which I think are the best of anything in town. One of them is the summer camp we put on for our children and our youth. And, woo! Yeah. Uh, which is why so many people don't have voices this morning, because, uh, wow, it, it is loud at summer camp. Uh, but it is a lot of fun. And every year, it's funny, every year we, we take the kids on a camp experience because uh, when you're growing up, it, for me personally, it's, it's, I think about what God did in my life over the years. So many of the uh, breakthrough and high marks of my spiritual growth as a child happened at camp. I don't know why they don't happen on a typical week-to-week -week basis, but it's just something about being in that camp environment. I can look and see different changes and steps I made in my relationship with God, which is why we believe it's such an important part, which is why you are investing in our, our youth. Some of what you give back, a portion of what God's blessed you with, goes to support and underwrite our camp. Uh, we were there with some other groups who were at the exact same camp. I don't think they had the as exact same experience our kids had, but they charged their kids a lot more, which made it much more limiting. Uh, we had two double-decker buses, and one guy came over, and they'd charge a lot more for their camp, and he goes, wow, it takes a double-decker bus? Our whole youth group came here in a, in a van. Had we charged full price, maybe we only could have taken a van load of kids. But because you underwrite a portion of the kids' camp experience, there was a double deck, two double-decker buses full of kids and plus several other support vehicles because we couldn't fit all. Actually, on the day we left, we were literally having to stop a bus out on the street and say, no, 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 do you have any space over there because we got too many kids for the other double-decker bus? And we were trying to mix and match. That's how many kids went. It was an amazing experience for them. Every year we go to camp and think, wow, this was the best ever. We couldn't possibly top it. And then after this week's camp, I go, man, last year was horrible compared to this year. <laughs> it really doesn't even compare. And so I don't know how, and we don't try to make a bigger and better thing. It just, 
happens. And so you'll see a little bit of montage of what our camp experience was like at the end of the service this morning. Uh, this morning I really want to focus on people who say they love Essential but have never been to Essential. Some of them don't even know where Essential is, but they love Essential Church. Uh, a lot of them are missionaries like Jonathan, who's in a country in North Africa, who uh, knew somebody here in Virginia Beach, who knew what he was doing. They came and said, hey, could you uh, maybe either replace a few of our bikes or maybe help us find some parts to uh, fix a couple of our bikes? That was his only, only, only request because his visa was coming up and he didn't have enough bikes to actually be able to continue the tours. He was down to like four or five operational bikes. He was cannibalizing his bikes to get them to work. And so he was saying, hey, I really need to get at least 10 to be able to renew my visa. And so we were trying, well, do you want to repair them? Do you want to get new ones? And this conversation went back and forth. And eventually we just said, what, what, what are we talking about here financially? And then we said, why don't we just buy you 10 new ones? Plus we'll buy you the parts and the tools to fix all your other ones. So then you can have 20 bikes. How about that? And he was just like blown away, which is why he loves Essential Church. And the ministry teams who come who will never even know about Essential Church indirectly love Essential Church because of the opportunity that you afforded them. But it doesn't just stop there. At the end of each service, Pastor Chris or whoever's up here will say this little statement. And it sounds like it's just sort of a throwaway statement. When you give back a portion of what God's blessed you with, it goes to further the ministry here in Virginia Beach as well as around the world. When we say around the world, we literally mean around the world. I mean, we mean North Africa. We mean the children that you feed every single day in Nicaragua. If anybody ever seen those opportunities to support a child, to feed a child every day, just by giving it essential, you are actually doing that. There's over 100 children in a rural countryside in Nicaragua who get a meal every single day of the year because of what you do. Uh, we also have partnerships with, um, they used to call it Stop Hunger Now, now they call it End Hunger Now. I, I don't know what they call it. Anyways, we still do it. Uh, we fed uh, somewhere between a half a million and a million people around the world uh, simply by coming in here and turning this, this very room, our sanctuary, into a sweatshop of sorts for a food production facility. It really is quite bizarre. You'll come in here and there is grain. It looks like a threshing floor, you know, right in the middle of harvest time because they're in here filling bags and bags, thousands upon thousands of meals. And we've been doing it every year that we could. They had to shut it down for a short term for COVID. I think we're going to try to renew and start that back up. By the way, you've done that here, but also have done that in the local schools, empowered the schools to do it so they would have an opportunity to see what's going on. Um, and share that there, and you supported and paid for those meals, so that way those kids at the school could have an understanding of what it means uh, to help people around the world. In other words, what I'm trying to say is, when you give back a portion of what God's blessed you with, it is helping around the world in ways that you will never know, and that's okay. And, and I don't know if it actually happens or not, but I hear songs about it, hear stories about it. Jesus kind of tells a parable that kind of sounds a little bit like it. There's a very good chance one day when you are living on the other side of eternity, there'll be people who walk up to you that you've never met, know nothing about, and they say, hey, I was looking through the book of my life on how I ended up in heaven, and your name was listed in there as one of the reasons why I'm here, and I just want to say thank you. And you'll look back and go, who are you again? How did I know you? Jesus tells a similar parable. He talks about how whenever you do the least of these, you're doing it for me. And we would look at Jesus and say, when did we see you hungry? When did we feed you? And he says, when you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. Uh, I think a part of that also is those people will be recognizing and say, hey, the folks at Essential Church did this for you. Uh, there are people who love Essential Church who live in Louisiana and Texas and North Carolina because you helped them out during uh, when a hurricane came through. Last year, a hurricane came through. Hurricane, hurricane season's coming up on us. You all sent two people who drove a truck from here all the way down there. Why? Because you couldn't find, we were going to originally buy them supplies locally. You couldn't buy anything within like a 
500 mile radius of Louisiana, anything that was of need. And so we cleaned out stuff here. And as a matter of fact, this was the most amazing thing. We had the trucks here, we had them just about full. We said there's a little bit more room left. Uh, anything you can go get if you want to fill it up, the truck's going to be leaving in a couple hours. And you guys went over to Food Lion, cleared out all the water, and there was no water left on Food Lion that day. And then I think also Walmart got cleared out. Every grocery store within a five-mile radius or about three-mile radius of this building was cleared out of water so we could top off the truck before it was sent down there. And you all do those kind of things. And so there's people in Louisiana who love Essential Church, and they'll never come here. They'll never visit the church, but they love Essential Church because why? Because you love them because you uh, gave to them. There are people, and we talked about it, around the world as well as Virginia Beach, and we're not just talking about what happens here in this building. There's other ministries that we support here in Virginia Beach, uh, people who are victims of domestic violence or sex trafficking through our partnership with Samaritan House. You all have uh, refurbed houses that those women uh, have as a safe house here in Virginia Beach. You've gone and re rehabbed those houses. You've gone in and provided Christmas presents for those families. Because when, when they show up there, typically they have nothing. They are literally escaping uh, with nothing but the shirt on their back in order to preserve their own life. And so you've helped them get a fresh start and a new start. Uh, we've been feeding the homeless here in Virginia Beach through a partnership with Penn Ministry. Uh, we've done breakfasts for a season, and another time they said we want dinners, and so we went over and did taco dinners. Maybe y'all have done that. And right now they've been asking us if we could help out with lunches. And so on the first Saturday uh, of every month, a team from here goes over and does that. Some of you might say, well, how can I... How can I be a part of that? At the end of the service, there's going to be a QR code that shows up that talks about serving opportunities. Um, I may be misleading when I say serving opportunities at the end of the service. Those aren't just opportunities to serve in our nursery or serve in our child care ministries or serve in our youth ministries. Those are also opportunities to serve in the community through things like Penn Ministry. Uh, every year when you realize that those genes don't fit anymore, don't be sad about that. Be happy that you can give those genes to a homeless person. Right? Because they're just a little bit too snug, right? It used to be that genes were the true teller of whether or not you're, you know, what your weights happen because genes like don't move, but now they stretch, which is great. <laughs> so that may have resulted in a few less pair of genes for our homeless ministry, but um, let's move on to what we're really talking about this morning, not genes. Um, we also have opportunities to serve in the food pantry. Uh, Courthouse United Methodist uh, has a food pantry that meets there, and so years ago, we just started giving money to it because we wanted to be a part of that, and we also have a food collection you see in the corner. That's where that food ends up. Uh, then also, we distribute out. We are, have a team that goes over there one Wednesday a month, I believe, maybe even more than that, uh, to be a part of the distribution team uh, that serves over there, and so you are feeding people in Virginia Beach that you know nothing about, and one of the other things I love is we've got some people on our staff, or not our staff, but in our church who are very thrifty. Now, here's the amazing thing. You can use whatever you love for God's glory. You can use whatever it is you love for a ministry opportunity. There's some guy in North Africa who loves riding bikes, and he's used that as a ministry opportunity. There's people in this church who are really good at couponing and shopping and schmoozing. I don't know what other words you could use it, who basically said, you know, we're, we could find a lot cheaper ways to buy a lot more food for these people. And so they've used those skills to go out and find uh, a lot of opportunities that we didn't have before with the food pantry. And so that blessing continues to multiply. Uh, there's others who are in our, in our church who, through Women of Essential, if you're not on the Women of Essential Facebook page, I encourage you to be a part of it. Uh, when you click on that link, uh, there'll be a button there where you can find that too. Uh, what our women's ministry does is when there are uh, domestic crises that happen in our church community or in our community at large, uh, and something happens, they will step in to provide meals or sometimes car seats or whatever is needed when there's a special need that comes up. And, uh, and I say, 
I, I caught myself there because I want to make sure I make this clear. This was the very first year we had a church, the very first year we started a church. I had somebody come to me and say, um, my neighbor, uh, she's not a member at Essential, but she, she has cancer and she's undergoing chemotherapy, and I was just wondering if uh, there's something we could maybe help out. I know a lot of times, you know, for our church members, sometimes we provided meals. Could we do that for her? And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa hang on a second. Um, you're, you're not a church member, so we, we've never helped any of our members out. She's like, well, no, I, I am a member. I said, when did you join? <laughs> Nobody's joined Essential. Maybe you've joined a small group or maybe you've joined a ministry team, but I don't remember anybody actually joining Essential because we don't have church membership. One of the primary reasons we don't have church membership is because I don't want anybody saying the kind of crazy thing that you just said. She's looking at me like, why am I being chewed out for trying to help my <laughs> cancer friend? And I said simply this, the idea that you think that we wouldn't help out your friend because they're not a church member, I don't know where you got that, but you didn't get it from here. Because there's nobody in this city who's not a member of our people of, I don't know what you would call it, we'll help anybody. What I want you to do, rather, is go back and tell your friend that you and a hundred of your closest friends will do everything we can to help her get through her season of cancer treatment. Because that's how big we were as a church, we were hundred back then. And now I tell people to say, you go back and tell somebody that you and a thousand of your closest friends will help you get through whatever. And so because of that, that's why somebody came and said, I've got a friend of mine in North Africa who's got this bike ministry. Will you tell him that you and a thousand of your closest friends will help him get his bike ministry back off the ground? And that's the, the mentality that we've had ever since. And so Women of Essential doesn't just help people from Essential, they help anybody um, because none of us are members. And we'll get a little bit more into that concept in just a minute. We have another team called a care and repair team uh, that does that kind of thing. They, they help out with people who have housing need or how or Things are broken around the house or, uh, or their cars, and they need some help fixing it. Now, if you have the means to go hire somebody, don't call me. <laughs> okay? The, the point is not for us to come, oh, oh, you guys have a remodel job. You mean like, like a home improvement show? Like there, you guys are going to have Ty Pennington and his crew come in and fix it up? No, that's not what we're here to do. But when you know of somebody who has a need, for instance, we've had people who were 100% healthy, something happened, all they find themselves now having to use a wheelchair or a walker, that creates a real crisis. There's a ton of medical bills that are coming in. I can't even get in my own house. No problem. We'll put a ramp out front. We'll widen your door. We'll widen the door to your bathroom. We'll widen the door to your bedroom. We'll come in and make those fix-it changes for you to help you along. That's what our care and repair team does. There's been other people who've had you know, one crisis after another, and now my car won't work. And so we've got folks who've come in and have helped, up, helped them out in those times. And so if you want to be a part of the care and repair team, uh, come on. It used to be just a men's group, and then I had some women come. Uh, <coughs> I said, well, come on. You know, needs don't discriminate. Come on. Uh, and so the care and repair team uh, is a, you know, anybody can be a part of that as well. And if you want to help out. And some people have said, I want to be a part of it just so I can learn how to do stuff. Great. Come on. You know. You can learn uh, along the way. Uh, there's many opportunities like that that result in people loving essential who never come to essential. Now, at which point somebody goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Why would we help all these people if they're not going to come to our church? Okay. In the same way that our goal is not to become the best church for people to attend in, in Virginia Beach, our goal is also not to become the biggest church in Virginia Beach. Now, our goal is not to become the biggest church uh, anywhere. Our goal is simply to, we want to grow the kingdom of God, not essential church. 
we just finished a series on the parables, uh, and so many of the parables that Jesus told, these are stories Jesus told, so many of the parables Jesus told began like this. He would say, the kingdom of God is like, and so he would say, the kingdom of God is like uh, somebody who's spreading good seed, or the kingdom of God is like a farmer who goes out and spreads seed everywhere. The kingdom of God is like a farmer who goes out and plants a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like a wealthy landowner who had some people come in and help work the vineyard. The kingdom of God is like a wealthy landowner who went away and had some other people come in and work the vineyard. The kingdom of God uh, is like somebody who wanted to settle accounts. The kingdom of God is, and he continues to go on with all of these parables about what the kingdom of God is like. Over 50 times, Jesus talks about or gives stories about what the kingdom of God is like. If you look at it from just kind of step back for a second, you'll realize one of the primary things Jesus does when he's here is he keeps talking about the kingdom of God. So some would say, well, what is the kingdom of God? And over in Mark, he would talk about how the kingdom of God is now, but it's not yet. It's, it, it's, it's now. When, when, when does the kingdom of God start? Like, when does the, 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 the kingdom of God begin? And Jesus says, right now. And you look around and go, well, it doesn't look like it. Well, that's because it hasn't happened yet. Well, wait a minute. I thought it was now. It is now. But it's not yet? Nope, it's not yet. What does he mean by that? It gets a little confusing, but it'll begin to make sense. The kingdom of God is simply where people recognize that God is the creator, sustainer, and ruler over all the earth. And to the extent to which you understand and recognize and submit your life to the fact that God is truly the creator, sustainer, and ruler over your life, you are a part of the kingdom of God. You look to God as who he is, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. When somebody says, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, what you're saying is, he's my God, he's my King, he's my Lord. And that may, means that you are in the kingdom of God because you recognize that his reign is active over your life right now. Most people in the church, not everybody in the church, but most people who attend church are part of the kingdom of God. They're people who recognize that God is our creator, He's the one who made everything. He's the sustainer. All things are held together by him and his word. And he is also the ruler over all of us, over all things. And when God says to do it, I obey. Uh, I look to his word as the authoritative uh, guide over my life uh, because he is the king and he is the ruler and he is the God. And so most people in the church would recognize God as such. And so we are part of the kingdom of God. Other people in the church recognize God as a creator. Not really sure about sustainer, working on the Lord part, that's okay. You're making progress towards that. And so the church primarily is made up of people who recognize the kingdom of God and their reign over their life. However, one day, Scripture says, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And at that time, the kingdom of God will have come in, and everybody on earth will recognize God's rule and reign, that he truly is the creator and sustainer over all things. Now is a time where you get to choose to be a part of that kingdom. At that point in time, people will have either already become a part of the kingdom or will be excluded from the kingdom, which is why I tell you every single week, I want you to be, have a loving relationship with Jesus Christ that you can enjoy for all eternity, i.e., I want you to be a part of the kingdom of God, which is why when somebody says, oh, did you hear that so-and-so has left essential and is going to another church now? I go, oh, that's wonderful. Whoa, 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 whoa. aren't you mad? No, they're going to church. What makes me mad, what makes me concerned is when somebody says, did you hear so-and-so has made a lot of really bad decisions and has quit coming to church altogether? That's a problem. That's an issue. That's something we need to address. I don't care if you go to a different church. I hope you find another church. I hope you find a better church. There's a lot of better churches out there than us. By all means, find a better church, go. You want to find a church you can invite somebody to? I really hope this is the place you want to bring them because that's everything we're trying to do is make it so we can be a place we can invite people. But our other mission is not to grow our church. Our mission is to grow the kingdom of God. And so if that happens in North Africa, awesome. If it happens in Papua New Guinea, amazing. 
If it happens in the Philippines, wonderful. We want to grow the kingdom of God. And here's why. There's a prayer I would dare to say everybody in this room has prayed at least once in their life. Uh, some of you have prayed it a lot. Some of you have prayed it a thousand times. I'm guessing the Catholics in the room, probably in the 10 to 20, maybe 100,000 times. And you've prayed it, but haven't really thought a lot about it. You know what it is. Our Father, who art in heaven, how there be thy name. Some of you are already closing your eyes. Some of you are reciting it. How there be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us a... And here's what we mean when we say that. Our Father who art in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. God, you do you, man. I want to see all this happen. I just, have at it, God. Let your kingdom come. I want to see your kingdom here. Let your will be done, because I am sick and tired of all of the evil and the filth and the disgusting world that we live in. God, please, 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 please bring in your kingdom, do your will, so everything can be the utopian Christianity that we desperately want it to be, because I'm tired of living in the Christian bubble. I want it to expand through the whole world. God, you do you. That's what we typically think when we think, when we pray that prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Let me just pause for a second. What is God's plan for his kingdom to come to this earth? What is God's plan so that the world would recognize him as the creator? What is God's plan so that people would know that he is the sustainer of all things? What is God's plan so that we would recognize his rightful place as king of kings and lord of lords and that he is the lord over all the earth? What is God's plan for his kingdom come? Some of you are like, I don't know, I was hoping you were going to tell me. It's the church. The church is the primary avenue through which God is working in the world. It is the primary, it is a central focus of what Jesus established to be the ongoing ministry and the ongoing work of Jesus Christ in the world. He would say, when two or more of you are together, that is me. When you guys come to collect, together collectively as a body, that is the body of Christ. You are my hands and you are my feet. When you love on somebody here in Virginia Beach or over in North Africa, they'll understand that is me loving on them. When somebody comes in your midst, I want them to know what it's like to be in my presence. I want them to feel as though they've walked in the room with me when they walk in the room with you and your church. I want them to feel what it's like to be in my presence when they're there in the, in the body of Christ. That's what I want. And so the primary means for which God is going to grow his kingdom in the world is through the church. So when you say, God, thy will be done, or when you say, God, thy kingdom come, what you're ultimately saying is, God, I'm yours. I am a soldier in your army, I am a member of your church, and I want to do everything I can to see your kingdom, your rule, your reign, your, the understanding of you as creator and center of all things. I want to do everything I can to see that happen in my community and around the world. And when you say, thy will be done, God, I understand that begins with me, but I also understand what it is that you want for this world. You want people, to, all people to know you, but I love the way Pastor Eddie says it. Pastor Eddie is our missionary liaison in Nicaragua. He's the one who's connected us with uh, Pastor Carminda, who has a feeding center there at Iglesia de Dios um, in Nicaragua. And he says this, people can't hear you share the gospel when they're hungry because the stomach growls far louder than any words that they can hear. It's not until they've been fed that they can hear the gospel. Jesus' half-brother James says it this way. He says, uh, let me get down somewhere here. I have some notes on this. Uh, he says, you'll tell me about your faith and by what you say, but what about when somebody comes to you and they says that they're hungry or they're starving? 
Uh, I'm trying to quote it from memory, but it's somewhere in these notes. There it is. Suppose your brother or sister without food or clothes comes to you, and somebody says, hey, you go in peace. Keep warm. Be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, which is without a company by action, is dead. In other words, it's not enough for us to come in here and have the right theology. It's not enough for us to come in here and say, I believe in Jesus Christ. If you have somebody who is hungry and in need, you need to meet that need. That's what faith does. It acts. It moves. When somebody says, I have a desperate need to be able to continue my ministry here, we want to help. Now, some of you might say, well, how is it that we do all of that? Because I didn't know about these needs. At Essential, we believe in what we call storehouse giving. Over in Malachi, God says, bring the whole tithe in the storehouse so there will be enough for my people. Uh, and what storehouse giving simply means is that everything that is spent missionally this year was given last year. So in other words, if a hurricane rips through our country, which it's likely to do, I don't know whether it's climate change or it's just the way the world is, I don't know, but let's face it, what happens in hurricane season? Hurricanes. Where's it going to hit? We don't know, but I can tell you this. Whenever it does hit, we won't need to take up a collection for it. We just sent it. What happened last time is we already stocked that truck with everything that we were asked for, and then you all said, oh, there's opportunity? I'll give some more. Because there's four reasons why people give. Uh, one is out of guilt. I hope you never give out of guilt at Essential Church. Uh, it is not a biblical motivation. However, it is the most popular motivation that is used everywhere else. You're sitting there at the checkout line, and they say, oh, would you like to give to first responders as you check out here at Firehouse Subs? <laughs> oh, you wouldn't. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> would you like to help the children at CHKD as you check out at Walmart? There's a little picture there of a child. <laughs> oh, you wouldn't? Okay. Well, you know, in the arms of an angel. <laughs> um, you'll never see a picture of a child with flies around their head at Essential. You just won't. Because I don't want you to give out of guilt. It's not a biblical motivation for giving. It is the primary motivation for giving in our world, but it's not a biblical motivation. Uh, another motivation for giving is need. And that is, we do see some examples of that in Scripture. People give to needs. Paul goes around and takes up a collection for the famine uh, that happened. And we do have need, some need-based giving. It's not the primary way that people give in the, in, in the Bible. Um, and so it's not the primary way we give here at Essential. But every once in a while, there are needs that come up that are easy for us to meet. Uh, things like uh, the backpacks. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I mentioned there were some, some Title I schools who had a need to uh, help children uh, get the school supplies they need, and so we found a great deal because, like I said, there are some amazing shoppers in this church, and they found backpacks for less than four bucks a piece. I'm like, oh, where can I get that? You can't. They found a really good deal. It's already, we have bought all the ones they had. So we bought all the backpacks we had, and then we let you guys pick them up and go fill them up, and you need to bring those back, by the way, by next Sunday, so that way we can get them to the schools that following week, so they'll be there for the kids when they show up that morning. It was a need-based gift. Uh, it was just a special opportunity, uh, very easy to do, so we do some of that along the way. Uh, the next form of giving we see in Scripture, which is a uh, higher motivation for giving, and that is out of a simply understanding what it is that God has asked of us. It's sort of obedience giving. Uh, God has asked us to return back a portion of what he has blessed us with. Uh, in the Old Testament, it was called a tithe, where you gave the first tenth belongs to God. I tried to teach this to my kids. Whenever I get them something, um, that first french fry is mine. That first bite is mine. <laughs> Why? Because dad is, you know, tr you know, a big fat tub of lard who just, no. It's not that I'm just, you know, <laughs> it's because I want my kids to understand I bought that for you. Why? Because ultimately I want you to understand everything you have came from God. In the same way, everything you have right now comes from your father, 
Everything you have ultimately comes from your Heavenly Father, which is why when David has the opportunity to give to what God is doing uh, in his community, uh, he says this over in First Chronicles. He says, wealth and honor come from you. For God, you are the ruler of all things. In your hand are strength and the power to exalt and give strength to all. In other words, I only was able to earn this because of the strength you've given me, the intellect you've given me, the opportunities you've given me. Everybody talks about, oh, whatever privilege you have. All of y'all have American privilege. Just know that. With your same gifts, talents, and abilities, I place you in Nicaragua, you're making about four to 10 bucks a day. Some of you, by exceptional luck, might be able to make a little bit more than that. But I guarantee you, you're not making it on, on par with minimum wage in America. Side note. Anyways, so David looks back and he goes, God, everything I have comes from you. And I'm only giving you what came from your hand. In the same way that I give my kids uh, that churro at Bush Gardens, I take the first bite. I don't even like churros. <laughs> but I want them to know it came from me. And I want you to recognize that as I give it to you. In the same way, and this may be the dumbest plan ever in the entire history of the world, God wants the entire world to know about him. He wants the entire world to be fed. He wants the entire world to be clothed. So he's backed up a truck full of money and dumped it in your lap. He has. And he says, I want you to give back a portion of what I'm blessing you with. So there'll be enough in my house to help everybody's needs around the world. I think it was a dumb plan. Come on, seriously. Was it a good idea for God to give you all that, if that's really what he wanted to be done with it? I know that when it cycles through my life, there's so much greed, it's hard for it to get back to his hand. It really is, personally. But I can also tell you, God will bless you if you give. I don't want that to be your motivation at all. I didn't even mention that as a motivation. Um, God does say you can test me in this, though. See if I won't outgive you. The greatest blessings I have in my life, every single one of them, I can trace back to a donation or a gift that I gave to God. But you never give the gift to get the thing on the end. Does that make sense? Um, I could tell you, I got parables and stories about that, but I'm gonna move on. Ultimately, though, the best form of giving um, is giving out of generosity. I'd mentioned this at Christmas one time. Um, all of these things come out at Christmas, right? Some of the Christmas gifts you give are out of guilt, right? Oh, well, the Johnsons gave us some cookies. They live next door. <laughs> oh, look, here's a candle I don't need anymore, you know? So <laughs> just for you, guilt-based giving, right? Some of the giving you do at Christmas is needs-based. You hear that somebody has a need, and so people are very charitable and very giving at Christmas, and so oftentimes people will you know, do toys for tots or whatever the needs are, and they do a lot of needs-based giving. A lot of the giving, though, is obligation giving at Christmas, right? You know, oh, what, what are we going to get for your mother this year? I don't know. Okay, well, it's your mother. You, you figure it out, but we got to get her something. I don't know. What does she like? I don't know what she likes. Just get her a gift card. I don't know. I just, obligation, you know, giving. But then there's a handful of people every year at Christmas, and you love giving them a gift, right? You're excited to give them a gift. You've been shopping for the perfect gift. You can't wait to see their face when they open it. I hope you at least have one person like that in your life, right? <laughs> and you look forward to giving it. And you remember that. And you'll see it for years to come. And you'll remember some of those gifts. There's gifts that I've given in years past uh, that I still to this day remember giving them. Um, one was a, I, I got my sister a leather jacket one year. This is way back in the 80s when leather jackets were all the rage. And my parents said they weren't going to get her one. And so they were like over 100 bucks. 100 bucks to a kid, it might as well be a million, right? So I think I was in probably seventh grade. 
And I remember going to the mall, shopping, finding her leather jacket she wanted. It was like 110 bucks and getting it, to, getting it for her. So excited. Didn't care about anything else that Christmas. I just wanted her to open that present. And she opened it up and she tears up. And it just, it made my day, my year. And here I am, some 30, whatever long it's been. Um, <laughs> and I still remember that gift. Why? Because it was a gift that was given out of love. And God's looking at you and he says, I want to be that kind of person in your life. I want to be somebody you give out of love. I want it to be a gift of generosity. I want you to be, give it cheerfully. Uh, when, when you return back a portion of what God's blessed you with, either in the black boxes or online or whatever, I want it to be something you do because you're excited about it. You know, maybe a part of that excitement is seeing what happens over in North Africa or seeing what happens in Nicaragua or seeing what happens with the homeless ministry. I want you to think about that when you write that check or, who didn't write check, when you fill that computer thing out or you give it the boxes, I want you to be thinking about that with the generosity and the heart of it that says, I'm so excited I get to be a part of this. That they'll love my Lord and Savior because I get to be a part of this. I love so much that God's backed up all this whole big old truck of money in my lap and I get to have the opportunity to be a part of this. What an awesome privilege and blessing it is. Well, I think I've said enough. My hope is that you love their church, your friends will love your church, but more than anything, I hope that those people who will never even attend Essential will have the opportunity to love this church because of the generosity that you've shown them. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we get to be a part of what you've done around the world. I thank you, Lord, that you have blessed us with so much. I thank you, Lord, we have the privilege to be living and the wealthiest nation this, faith, this, this earth has ever seen, that every one of us, even the poorest among us, is still has more than 90% of the rest of the world. So Father, give us the mentality to understand that it's been given to us that we might be a blessing to others. Father, that our goal might not be to give to ministries that only support our own or grow within our own church, but understand, Father, we give and we give and we give because we want to grow your kingdom. We truly want to see your kingdom come and your will be done. And so we put our money where our mouth is because that's what moves our hearts. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.